the better life. Who here hasn't thought about it? Who here hasn't heard either someone in your family or someone you know talk about it? That we want the better life. In fact, that's part of the fabric of our culture. If we look at the Declaration of Independence, the preamble begins with, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We face immigration problems because people in other countries think that by coming to America, they'll get the better life. We have parents that speak to their children and they want to be sure that they can have a better life than what may have been true of them. Back in the 60s, there was a group with the name The Animals who wrote and released a song. We got to get out of this place. If it's the last thing we ever do, we got to get out of this place because, girl, there's a better life for me and you. Watch my daddy in bed and tired. Watch his hair been turning gray. He's been working and slaving his whole life away. I've been working too, every night and day. We got to get out of this place. If it's the last thing we ever do, we got to get out of this place because, girl, there's a better life for me and you. Now, if you're not familiar with the animals in this song, it either means you weren't around at that time or if you were, you weren't hip. But what that song expressed is the idea that there are hard things and struggles in life and what people want is the better life. In fact, as Christian people, we need to understand that part of what it means to be a Christian is to have the better life with a wonderful hope for the future. And Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, 3,000 years ago, spoke about the better life what it entails, and what individuals need to do in order to have it. So I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. And today we want to pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This book was written by Solomon as a book of wisdom. And in the Hebrew scriptures, certain books were designated as books of wisdom because they were designed to focus on a fundamental question that is relevant, that is important for each human being. 
You need to remember that for the nation of Israel, they were a privileged group of people. If we talk about how they were established governmentally, in reality, Israel was a theocracy. That is, God was the ruler over them. And he provided them with a constitution or a covenant to direct them in how they were to live their lives. And as that privileged people, God provided through different human authors answers to life's most fundamental questions. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he answers that fundamental question for young and old alike. What is my life all about? How is it I can be fulfilled and satisfied? How is it I can have meaning and purpose in life? And as Solomon looks at this question, in chapters 1 through 6, he develops his basic theme or premise. And that basic theme or premise is the fact that the things of this world, temporal things, will never provide an individual with ultimate, lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. It always will leave you up short. And therefore, individuals keep clamoring for something more, something new, something better. And what Solomon says as he develops this theme is that there are no new ways in which human beings focusing on the temporal world can ever find meaning, satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose in life. If you're living for your job, you're just working hard, getting gray, we got to get out of this place. There's a better life for me and you. If you're living for sensual and temporal pleasures... You won't be satisfied with what you did this weekend. You'll want something next weekend. You won't be satisfied with what you're doing every day. Somehow you need to vacate your daily condition, that is take a vacation, in order to somehow be happy in light of all the mundane things you have to put up with. Sometimes you think if we just have the riches of this world. And Solomon makes it very clear that just like the eye is not satisfied with seeing and the ear is not satisfied with hearing, you always want to see something new and more. You want to hear some new juicy thing. So you'll always want a little bit more money. I remember an interview that was done with a Rockefeller's boy decades ago. But he was asked, when does someone have enough money? When does someone have sufficient wealth? His answer, when he has a little bit more than what he presently possesses. I know we sit there and think, boy, if we had all of that, we'd be fulfilled, we'd be happy. But the answer is temporal things do not fulfill. And along with that premise... What Solomon has been developing, what he understood, it is only a God-centered view of life 
that provides an individual with a sense of well-being, of true lasting joy, a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. And so having established his premise that it's not the things of this world, but a focus on the Lord that will provide the fulfillment, meaning, purpose, and satisfaction in life, having developed it in chapters 1 through 6, now in chapters 7 through 12, he will bring out his deductions from this concept. And what we will find as he brings out these deductions is that often he makes almost proverbial statements. Should that surprise us? Not at all. As the author of the book of Proverbs, as someone who found real delight in making these analogies and comparisons to stimulate people to think. So he does it in Ecclesiastes 7 through 12. The deductions from his premise. And in chapter 7, we find a number of comparison statements that really provides us with an understanding of what is the better life? What is it I really need to be satisfied, fulfilled, have meaning and purpose? And sometimes we get old too fast and smart too slow. And the reality is, whether we're young or old, what Solomon says here is pertinent for each one of us. And so what I want us to think about is, I want the better life. I don't know about you. I want a life that is gratifying, that has meaning, that has purpose, that has fulfillment and satisfaction. And if that is true, What are the things that are essential in my life and in my experience to really grab hold of the better life? Notice the first thing Solomon says. Verse 1 of chapter 7. A good name is better than good ointment. Now, if I put myself back into that context... When we think about what Solomon is saying here by way of comparison, probably the best way for me to help you understand in the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew culture, what's associated with this good or uh, ointment, perfume. Remember Christ with his disciples prior to his passion, his crucifixion. Mary came and poured an expensive ointment on his head. And even the apostles, particularly Judas, was upset and said, what a waste. This ointment could have been sold and money could have been given to the poor and then... um, We find Matthew makes the comment, and he didn't say that because he really was concerned about the poor. He said it because he held the purse strings, and he was thinking there'd be more in it for me. In other words, a costly ointment 
It was a picture of prosperity, a picture of wealth. And when I start thinking about the better life, the first thing I need to see is a good name is more valuable than all the wealth and riches that I might possess. What does he mean by a name? Well, who you are, your reputation, how you portray yourself in this world before others. In a right sense, what people think of you. Because the wrong sense is when I am so controlled by what do others think. But the reality is every one of us has a name or reputation. And what the people around us know us to be. And Solomon says, you want the good life? You want the better life? Well, the first thing you need to understand is what you are is more important than what you have. Now, we've missed that in our culture. What I think is if I just have more things of this world, the riches, the prosperity, I can have the better life. And the reality is my social economic status does not guarantee a better life. But the individual who has the reputation, the character traits that sets him or her apart from the masses of the people is the first ingredient to the better life. I need to be concerned about that in any role or responsibility that I have. It isn't so much, you know, what happens, what takes place, the things that are going on, but how I handle it. Because in how I handle it, people see what I really am. Isn't that true? When everything's going well, it doesn't matter who you are or what's going on, but boy, when the bottom falls out, then you begin to see who really has the quality of character. Who really has the strength and fortitude of person that they're not blown away by all the things that come. So the first ingredient is a good name. That the individual is more concerned about who I am. Hear me, young people? Who I am rather than what I have. See, when the animals produced that song, we got to get out of this place, they recognized the values of that generation in the 60s that focused on wealth and accumulating things didn't change the culture. Oppression, problems, cruelties were all taking place, slaving away and never getting ahead. Somehow, man never learns his lesson because he still thinks the better life is the possessions instead of first understanding the better life 
is who I am. And God is using the circumstances he takes me through to improve who I am, isn't he? Everything is bettering the saints. Second, I think we find this picked up in verses 1 through 4. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because that's the end for every man. And the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for when the face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of feasting. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. A house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. Now, the first thing I need to clarify is Solomon is not saying don't ever be involved in joyful activities and celebrations. In fact, the theme that he keeps bringing out here is that I should be happy in my daily circumstances. The person that he says ought to be um, thought of as someone that's really missing out is the one who just works all day and is never satisfied with his daily experience. Never has a day of joy in his life. Solomon isn't saying that you never are involved in celebration. You're never involved in gatherings where there's feasting. But he's saying, let's make this analogy and understand what I want to drive home. Why does he say the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth? Why does he say that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting? Because in conjunction with the one, people wise up. In conjunction with the other, People have inflated ideas of fantasy almost and never really face reality. And I take the point that Solomon is making is that individuals who have the better life are individuals who really understand life and reality. Because he said, here the living take it to heart when you go to the house of mourning. Kathy and I were talking the other day. Some of our grandchildren on their way to school and our family talking about first day of school. And we said, you know, we remember when that was us sending our children. Why, it just seems like yesterday. Where has the time gone Many sitting here either have had their hair go into retreat or their hair turn gray. It wasn't always that way. And when young people look at us, they think, you can't really mean you were ever quick and agile. It won't be long they're going to be the same, having the same thing said about them. Life is a vapor. It's a passing shadow. And the individual who just occupies himself with celebrating things all of the time and never contemplates the reality of life will never have the better life. 
even someone who wrote um, over a thousand years before Solomon. No, that's not right. 700 years. Wrote a psalm. Psalm 90. About the Lord being our shelter in every generation. And in Psalm 90, Moses said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Come to grips with what life is all about. The temporal is very transitory. The individual that has the better life is the individual that understands while life is passing quickly, the opportunity I have is the one now I have guarantees of nothing else. And I face each day as if this day may be my last. I'm not harboring grudges. I'm not giving myself to the things that have no real meaning. But while I enjoy the day, I am sure that I am ready to meet my God at any moment. The day of one's death, that I finished the course of this life, like Paul could say to Timothy, I was faithful to the calling that God gave me. And therefore, I have a glorious hope for the future. Because Paul was an individual that recognized each passing day has certain opportunities before it. And to him, to live was Christ. And therefore, to die was gain. Now, you may falsely think death won't touch me. But I want to tell you, you won't escape. The only ones who are going to escape death are the ones that God raptures to himself and brings them to Christ. It's appointed once for Joe Saul to die. It's appointed once for every one of you here to die. Do you live today in light of the fact that God might say of you, today your soul is required of you? It doesn't mean you're morbid. Solomon says you're to be happy. It doesn't mean that you're discouraged. It means you recognize the moment I have is a gift that God has given me. And I'm living my daily life in light of eternity. And I understand that whether it's God giving me in things to enjoy or God brings me perplexing problems that I wasn't expecting, God is the author of both. And he's designed it for my good. Look at what Solomon says in verse 14. In the day of prosperity, do what? What does he say? Be joyful. You're having a quote-unquote good day. And so he says, if that's your situation, rejoice. But then he says, but in the day of adversity, think about it, consider 
reflect. And what are you to recognize? God has made the one as well as the other. Is that true? Or only certain things in your life coming from the order of his throne? Or is God really working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Having the better life means that I live the day in light of eternity. That I consider life for what it really is. I have a proper perspective on life. And I, like Moses in Psalm 90 verse 11, say, Lord, help me to number my days. He's not saying, well, you know, I am 36 years old, four months, and three days. He is saying, recognize this life moves quickly. And the only thing I have for certain is this moment and the breath I now take. And I am living my life in a way that reflects that truth. Third, verses five and six. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot... In other words, they make a lot of noise, but they don't produce any heat. They really have no significant. And so it is with the songs of fools. This is the laughter of the fool. This too is futility. The point he is making is that it's better, instead of all joining together and thinking of how great we are and how great things are, the rebuke of the wise man. So what's he saying? I need to be sure I'm not a know-it-all. I need to be sure that I have a humble spirit. I need to be sure that I understand that I'm not perfect. I need to be sure that I understand I don't really have all the answers. And there are individuals who can be beneficial to me with the things that I have to face in life. It is better to have the rebuke of the wise man than the song of fools who make up the idea of how either great I am, because I'm sure Solomon as king had a lot of individuals making up songs about him and how wonderful he was, the prosperity that was going on in Israel at that time, but it is more valuable to be corrected by the wise man point as an individual who has the better life I need to have a humble teachable spirit a humble teachable spirit I'm concerned about who I am my name, my reputation I understand life as it really is the reality of the transitoriness of the temporal And only the unseen is what will remain. And I have a humble, teachable spirit. And then he says in verses 8 and 9, the end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than the haughtiness of spirit. Do not be hasty or eager in your heart to be angry, for anger 
resides in the bosom of fools. Why does he use the comparison? The end of the matter is better than the beginning because everybody starts off with their great dreams and plans of everything we're going to do. And most of those dreams and plans never come to fruition. But what is really important is getting the job done. That I complete what I say I'm going to do. And so it ties in with having a patient, enduring, steadfast spirit rather than an arrogant pride of look at all I'm going to do. So, self-control. Self-control. I don't get blown out of the water because of what people say or do. And that's why he says don't be hasty to be anger, uh, angry. I can go to the book of Proverbs and Solomon will say there, the man who can control his spirit is mightier than the one who can conquer the city. It's a recognition that having self-control, patient endurance in life and all of the things that hit me blindside is what will add to the better life. So four basic ingredients. Who am I? My name, my reputation. To be looking at life for how it really is with the realities of the transitoriness of the things of this world and the eternal that is coming. To realize I don't know it all and to have that humble, teachable spirit and self-control through the things of life. And as I said at the beginning, to have those things, there's something that is foundational and absolutely necessary. Notice what Solomon says in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his days, in other words, evil people get away with horrendous things. Even though you're in that situation and you see that you know justice is not taking place like it should, that it's being perverted, and even though the sinner may do evil a hundred times and lengthen his life, get away with it, I still know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. It will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. To have the better life, I need to be a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. Now, in our day, that almost sounds strange to us because that isn't the emphasis that we usually have. But if I go to the Old Testament... If I go to the early church, if I even go, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman was the term that was used for a believer, for someone that was trusting and depending upon the Lord rather than false gods or something within themselves. And what Solomon is saying is the better life, 
I know that it will be better even though the circumstances may not show it at the moment. For the person who fears God, who trusts him, who depends upon him, rather than for the person that ignores him, denies him, or even shakes his fist at him. As a God-fearing individual, I'm an individual who trusts in him, depends upon him. And not only as one who says, you know, I'm believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is my firm foundation. I don't have any hope but Jesus. But it is to also fear him openly. In other words, it is manifested in one's life. And that people begin to see that you are an individual, that what really matters more than anything else is your desire to delight the heart of God. Your desire to be and to do what God says, even if no one else does. A man who had completed his ministry for the nation of Israel called all of the nation together before his death. And he said to the nation of Israel, you have a choice before you. Choose this day whom you will serve either the gods of the Canaanites that we have destroyed or Yahweh. But regardless of what your decision is, I'm not going to be manipulated by, I'm not going to just do what the mob is doing. And he said it like this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know who I'm talking about? Joshua. And he didn't say that as a teenager, although it was true of him as a young man. He said that in his 80s as an individual who had faithfully served the Lord. And he said, I'm not done with it yet. What motivates me, what is most important to me, is that I delight the heart of God and do what God says. You want the better life? I know it's going to be well for those who fear God and who fear him openly, who don't just make a profession of faith, but there's a reality that's being seen in one's daily life and that God is really being honored and that the motivation and the drive of your very being, to put it in New Testament terms, is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death that I too may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. That like Paul, what motivates and drives me today has to be that I know my God better. I delight in him more and that he is pleased with both who I am and what I seek to do in each circumstance of life. It is a reality. This world is a hard world. Old people, young people all face difficulties 
and the yearning of the world and its populaces, we got to get out of this place. If it's the last thing we ever do, we got to get out of this place because, girl, there's a better life for me and you. Brother and sister in Christ, what the world believes is the better life is a mirage. The better life is in Jesus Christ. The better life is the blessing and the privilege of being one of his children. And as one of his children, to recognize who I am is more important than what I have. To recognize I see life for what it really is and it's passing so quickly, but I'm ready to meet my God. To be an individual that as I go through life with all of its perplexities, I don't think I have all the answers. And I have a humble, teachable spirit. To have the better life is to be self-controlled and not be adversely affected by what happens to me or what people do to me. But I respond in the way that honors Jesus Christ. The better life is to be a person that is depending upon, is trusting in the living God who does for his people far beyond all we could ever ask or think, who brings the realities of his truth into the experience of his people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the privilege of studying it, for learning from it, and most importantly, for learning more of you. I pray, Father, that your spirit would just move in each of our hearts, that we first and foremost would know and understand the blessing that we have in Christ. And Father, you would keep us from being led astray to thinking that we're going to find our well-being in something of this life, but rather to find that our true well-being is only in you. Through Jesus Christ the Lord we pray, amen.